it seems like the coronavirus just keeps on giving, doesn't it? As if it weren't bad enough that the virus has taken its toll on hospitals, put the brakes on travel, and limited your social interactions. I mean, even a trip to the local grocery store feels like teetering on a tightrope. Do you really need milk? Could you live without fruit? How important is food anyway? Now COVID-19 is taking down the economy, leaving disrupted supply chains, reduced customer demands, and depleted cash flows in its wake. So what does this all mean for transfer pricing? Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions' weekly transfer pricing podcast. Today, we'll be discussing how COVID-19 is affecting various transfer pricing policies at multinational enterprises around the globe. How are tax executives adjusting? What changes are they making? What's worrying them most? We're going to hear all about it. Today, we have three all-star tax executives with us. Peter DiNicola, director of tax at Fujifilm. Along with Peter, we have repeat Fiona Show rock stars, Doug Darling from 3M and Katia Ewing at TradeShift, a cloud-based business platform. As always, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're burying three CPE credit code words in this episode. Email those to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai, and we'll send you a CPE credit certificate. Now, before we dive into the nitty-gritty, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Even Luxembourg is tightening up its transfer pricing regime. Case in point, a March 4th circular that delivers the details on how Luxembourg tax law applies to controlled foreign companies. Here's the scoop. Non-Luxembourg subsidiaries that are controlled by a Luxembourg company with more than 50% ownership must be prepared to hand over an updated functional analysis upon request. The analysis must describe where the subsidiary's functions are carried out in relation to assets and risks. The goal, of course, is to make sure the controlled foreign company's profits are not the result of, quote, non-genuine business, because if they are, those profits are taxable in Luxembourg. The new requirement applies for tax years after January 1st, 2019, and is enacted as part of the EU Anti-Tax Directive 2016-1164. We've all been there, scratching our heads over how to account for unexpected losses from a distributor. But if you ask the IRS, the answer is obvious. Tell the truth. A novel idea, we know. The government agency released guidance this week in the form of frequently asked questions, advising that in the case of losses, multinational companies should avoid manipulating comparable companies and instead explain them head on. There were other recommendations too: defend the transfer pricing method you choose and explain why you rejected others. And when you're using the cup method, make a case for the profit level indicator you choose, a real case. The IRS makes it clear that this is not an exercise in filling in the blanks. So if you're thinking of explanations like there weren't comparable uncontrolled prices, so we didn't use the cup method, save it. The IRS thinks you can do better. Sorry, countries, but dispute resolution cases can't go on forever. I mean, how much time do you think multinational companies have? Well, the OECD is doing its part in terms of lighting a fire under some of those dispute resolution slowpokes. In fact, the organization named a few offenders when it reviewed the process back in 2017. Now, three years later, the watchdog checked in on them to see who has and hasn't upped their games. In a recent report on cross-border tax disputes, the OECD had mostly good things to say about Austria, France, Germany, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, and Sweden. While none of these countries are completely compliant, hey, nobody's perfect, they have all made improvements to tax disputes to help taxpayers get access to more mutual agreement procedures. Luxembourg, for example, now follows BEPS minimum cross-border dispute standards and has even ratified the multilateral instrument. The problem, it has yet to bring all of its treaties in line. Germany's issue is timing. For an efficient nation, the country has to speed things up. Right now, resolving attribution allocation issues takes more than 24 months. 24 months! That's twice as long as it takes Bill Gates to develop a world-saving vaccine. Sweden and Austria have resolved the issues they had in 2017, though Italy still has work to do. The country needs more MAP staff, and it has yet to ratify the MLI. And like France, Italy needs to provide for APA rollbacks. Liechtenstein has a small tax treaty network and only 12 pending cases. So like the OECD, we can't help but wonder, Liechtenstein, 
Why are resolutions still taking so long? Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Well, thank you to everybody for being with us and making this work from home. Let's take it from the top and get to know your businesses a little bit better. We'll start with Doug. Tell us about your business. And Mr. Doug Darling, let's start with you. Certainly, I um, work for the 3M Corporation. I'm sure everybody's heard of it here recently in the news, uh, makers of the N95 masks and other PPE, personal uh, protection equipment. Um, so, yeah, this is we're we're right in the middle in the midst of uh, of this. So, um, but if you know 3M, it makes you know it it, uh, it makes a variety of of products, not just healthcare, but um, your basic post-it notes, sandpaper, scrubbies, all the way to uh, N95 respirator masks. So, um, we we feel it in certain areas of our business more than others. Yeah, you guys must be super busy in that case. Certain of us, certain of us are, um, especially the transfer pricing team, right? Because we handle not just the respirators or the medical solutions division, but the whole, you know, the whole gamut of all our products. Um, and we're certainly seeing slowdowns elsewhere. So, yeah, it's an interesting time at 3M. Yeah, I think it, it probably bears worth mentioning, too, that uh, even more unique to your situation the that deal with 3M is something that I think uh, uh, even many listeners, even outside of our regular listeners to this podcast, probably heard a lot about in the news. And I'm sure we'll we'll get to as as we as we discuss. Some good, some bad. Oh, of course, yeah. But there, always it's not necessarily always true that any PR is good PR. Let me put it that way. But yeah, it's it's been it's been both. Especially when you're a very established, uh, you know, household name like 3M, that rule goes out the window about uh, all press being good press. Um, but uh, people don't understand how it works. You know, the yeah. normal person in supply chain and distribution. So a lot of misconception. and It's hard to educate everybody. But yeah. Yeah. And this will be a fantastic opportunity to do so. But before we get to that, Peter, if you could tell us a little bit about your business. Well, I'm with uh, Fujifilm. And as I like to say, uh, there's not much film left in Fujifilm. <laughs> uh, we've um, you know, branched out from our legacy uh, consumer photography businesses. And uh, now we're involved heavily in, in the medical area. Uh, we manufacture uh, portable ultrasound equipment, other diagnostic X-ray equipment. Uh, we have uh, diagnostic software. Uh, we're in, in the biotech and pharmaceuticals, also uh, the graphic arts business as well. Uh, right now, Fujifilm has developed a, uh, a flu drug called Avigan uh, that's been around for a while. And it's uh, now uh, going through uh, clinical trials as a possible treatment for the coronavirus. Very, very interesting. And I know uh, for a company that uh, at least more so than not is very media oriented, you might not think, uh, you know, even for such a household name like Fuji, uh, that they'd have an involvement in, uh, in, in what we're seeing even on, on Doug's side of things. But that, that's really incredible. And I, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, great perspective. Katya, uh, tell us about your business before we get to how uh, COVID has impacted yeah, so uh, I work for Trade Shift Inc., which is a SaaS platform 
supply chain, uh, connecting suppliers, pretty much users, suppliers and customers, uh, business to business. So the initial, the basic product offering is e-invoicing software, kind of similar to Coupa and Ariba, but it's platform and more static. And then further out, we are building Threadshift Marketplace, which uh, is intended to be like Amazon for businesses. And then further, uh, some fintech, tech finance options. For instance, if suppliers want to get paid faster, um, then we can, they can get paid within two days um, and share a part of the, and give us a discount basically on the payment. Um, so in a nutshell, how are we affected? Well, being a SaaS business, it, from just operate operational perspective, it's not, there, there hasn't been significant impact because it's easy to work, easier to move everybody to their houses and all we need per se is a laptop, right, to connect and to mm -hmm. work. However, we have been discussing things have been, uh, because other businesses are impacted, um, a few customers, quite a bit of customers put their things on hold as a lot of us are. And then other customers at the same time have uh, renewed and expedited because this a virtual e-invoicing and cloud SaaS um, solution becomes even more relevant as we all becoming virtual, quote unquote, a lot of businesses becoming more um, online. And let me turn things over to Mimi, our chief economist here at Cross Border Solutions, Mimi Song. Mimi, does that sound familiar? Yeah, right. I've actually been hearing about Katja from, you know, some companies that are SaaS based companies saying, you know, we've, we've actually had a little bit of an uptick in opportunities as companies are shifting towards a more digital mindset, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very true because, for instance, um, I've been working today with a big, big client. Uh, I can't really get yep. the name, but uh, they are um, putting all of their stuff on the marketplace. And we're actually right now exploring various uh, transfer pricing and sales tax implications around the marketplace. And in addition to that, there's going to be a partner on this marketplace, kind of like a BPO partner that will sell, resell trade shift platform to other customers. So there's like um, a new new kind of operating model, um, a transaction, which we're brainstorming around. But um, yeah, so things have been changing. And exciting as well. Yeah, no, that's that's super exciting. And and going to Peter, how has this whole COVID nineteen crisis affected your tax department and and processes internally at Fujifilm? Well, obviously, we're all uh, working remotely now, and um, initially, it was a bit of a challenge for us because um, Fujifilm has never had a you know work at home policy, so. Uh, this you know created a few uh, challenges in that uh, some of our team members did not have, uh, for instance, a printer or a scanner at home, uh, you know, help uh, you know process tax returns and the like. So uh, we've had to get them up to speed, and uh, things are sort of uh, working a little smoothly, uh, smoother now. Uh, so uh, you know we're happy about that. Uh, we just, you know, we have a, a March fiscal year end, so we just got over, you know, you know preparing our tax provision remotely, which was uh, <laughs> quite a challenge. But uh, we got through it, and, you know, I think now we're developing the processes and the systems, uh, you know, moving forward that, um, you know, we should be able to, you know, get some efficiency out of it. Right, right. So you guys didn't have a, uh, any telecommuting plans pre-COVID then that that was a big that's a big shift for you guys then uh yes it is okay it had been contemplated for a while and I think they were going to be moving forward with some sort of uh, limited telecommuting uh, mm -hmm. in the uh, current fiscal year uh but they didn't have a chance to implement it and then of course this came along and uh then everything got it forced their hand yeah <laughs> it forced their yeah. hand a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Doug at, at 3M, I, you know, I know that there's some implications from a product perspective. But what about at least from a tax transfer pricing department and process perspective? How how has this uh, current yeah, I think situation yeah, impacted you guys? Echo what you know Peter's saying mm -hmm. very similar in that 3M has actually always had and, and actually a facility before that fairly liberal work from home policy. I mean, you were allowed to. Um, 
but it wasn't expected it would be all the time, you know. Um, yeah. If you had a day of the week that you could work remotely and it worked better for your family and stuff, that was encouraged. So, so a lot of people in the tax department um, already had some, you know, home office set up and stuff. But what it has done, though, is it forced us all to our homes every day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure like Peter is saying, um, which, which it, it's been fine. Um, it's been had its rough points. The technology is, is still there. We're on Teams meeting uh, platform, and that works okay. Um, you know, we, we still have, you know, hold the regular meetings and such. I just, I personally, I find it, uh, you get more done in the office uh, for me. I, I know that. And, and face-to-face and interacting and, and boots on the ground. So I think it's, it's, it's been okay, but I do think it's dragged efficiency down a little bit. But I, I think that's kind of inevitable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it hasn't, so. you know, affected processes per se. We're still doing them. I just think they're kind of, you know, uh, got a little bit of an anchor to them. And it's funny because I almost think there's there's a little bit of a, a generational gap, Doug. And I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to, um, you know, date you. But but I, you know, when I talk to some, no, no, it's it's a good point. I mean, yeah, the, the younger people on the staff are much more adept at it. I yeah. fortunately, you know, um, for an older person, and I, I, that's not a good word. For I, I I'm actually pretty good at technology. I, I mean, that's I true. I grew, kind of grew up on the test of it, but I do think. There are people on our on our staff who that they didn't grow up with it or came to it late, and those people are actually still going into the office a little bit to do some of the work because they're not as adept at the remote. So that's a good point that there is that can be a factor too. We we right. have a spread of 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 experiences on their staff. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm curious, do you have any specific, I think you had mentioned this earlier, Doug, specific transfer pricing related concerns as a result of, of what's happening um, with the oh. COVID-19 crisis? You were talking about it a little earlier. Yeah, no, clearly. Um, and, and here's the deal. We're so early on in this that everything now is just uh, an assumption or mm-hmm. um, a presumption. We're anticipating drops in sales and certain the majority of our business segments mm-hmm. um, and while the medical device solution may uh, may be better off with the the, the respirator issues all, all in all uh, overall we're, we expect to see losses drop in sales so we're trying to understand what does that mean from a you know limited or routine risk distributors um maybe you know not experiencing sales at what point is it an acceptable target or um pli to 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 peg them out is it reasonable to lower it within your you know your, within your quarantile range because of this and you just kind of start thinking about that and and how we are going to do that what makes sense um do we do traditional transfer price adjustments or do we do this is a so exceptional one off maybe we try and characterize it as something else right so more than yeah more anything what we did our team did we have a a fairly robust transfer pricing team of about seven eight people we found we Mm -hmm. formed a core COVID 19 team Mm -hmm. and that core team is is reaching out to other key business partners treasury accounting fdna to just start to start having discussions Okay. What do you guys see? Here's what we see. Um, and more than anything, to keep each other in the loop um, before we do anything, before we take actions, before we, we, we change the transfer prices, before we make any adjustments. Um, it, it's to have a, 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 a deeper discussion with our key business partners. So at this point, we're just waiting for to see some of the, uh, see some of the March and April numbers. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of will go from there so that's that's our plan of attack at this point but we have not done anything per se other than try and form formulate a game plan with our key business partners right right and and you know peter i'm not i hate to put you on the spot but i know you've been in dealing with the transfer pricing for many years and and fujifilm has gone through some you know evolution evolutionary stages as a as a business as an organization 
So you must have had to deal with situations similar where you're going to experience some some losses, right? As as a business, and how do you treat that? Well, yeah, I think this is uh, you know obviously um, unusual situation because it's it's not just one particular market or mm-hmm. one particular um, you know product line. I mean, I think this is going to be universal for the most part. I mean, uh, you you know the economies of uh, you know pretty much every country are going to be suffering as a result of this. So, uh, you know, it's a question, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you adjust your transfer pricing? And, uh, you know, again, I would, you know, I would also agree that, you know, it's probably too early in the game to, uh, to make that type of an assessment. I mean, to me, this, this whole exercise is, is a sort of akin to like, uh, you know, retirement planning, you know, how much money do you have? Well, the, the big variable there is <laughs> how long are you going to live? And that's something no, none of us knows. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the same thing. We don't know how long this is, how protracted this is going to be, how long this, you know, the shutdown is going to last and what the impact is going to be, um, you know, when we come out of this, uh, whether it's going to be a, a very quick recovery or it's going to be very protracted. So, um, you know, I think later on the year, I'm hopeful, we'll have a better idea and then we're going to have to start formulating you know our plans for transfer pricing i mean clearly you know it's this is not business as usual what we've done in prior years we're going to have to rethink for the current year and if i might just interrupt very quickly to ask fiona fiona a number of countries have extended their tax and transfer pricing deadlines can you tell us about some of those extended deadlines yes matt countries are extending their deadlines but they are doing so unilaterally. So, you're still dealing with the country-by-country situation. For example, Malaysia has extended the deadline for country-by-country reports. CBC reports that were due on March 30th or April 30th are now due on May 15th. Poland has pushed back the filing date for its transfer pricing return to September 30th, and Denmark has extended its tax deadlines. But since it requires contemporaneous transfer pricing deadlines, those 2019 deadlines are now due on September 1st, 2020. And before we return to our conversation, let's give everyone that first CPE code word. And that code word is processes, as in COVID-19 will inevitably affect almost every tax department and processes. So I, I am actually, this question goes to Katja. I, I... So in your organization, in your business, what kinds of things are you guys doing anything to uh, proactively with respect to tax and transfer pricing in light of the current environment? Not at this point. I say we're more focused because, um, you know, Treshift is a startup, so tax function is pretty much very lean. Okay. Um, uh, I do have a lot of um, input from providers in terms of uh, benefits available, various uh, income tax and um, indirect sales tax and employee payroll tax. So I am part of finance, so I partner with HR, with legal, and with our finance planning to look at those benefits and kind of help company to apply. But we haven't, because everything's so recent and new, we haven't had a chance to sit back and kind of plan out transfer pricing implications. I know we are um, going to be carrying back losses to, um, and really happy that the benefit became available to prior years to get some, you know, the refunds back, which is huge. Other than that, yeah, and deferring payments of uh, payroll tax. That's kind of on the main main radar. But other besides that, not yet. Okay. Which I think is a little different than Doug per se, what you guys are doing at 3M with such a very a large tax department and even seven to eight people dedicated to transfer pricing and then having a, a COVID task force, if you will, for transfer pricing, right? You guys are being a little more proactive in this space. Well, we're trying, but but that's it's still um, as Peter said, uh, it's it limited what we can do. Uh, there's it's all assumptions and presumptions, and I think it's good to have. We're trying to put together plan option A, plan option B, um, and and so trying to be proactive. But again, um, 
until we see more numbers, it, it, it is just that. It's kind of scary. But I think it does make our key business partners and C-suite a little more comfortable that we're working on it, that, yeah. that we're thinking about it. Um, and so it, I think that's about all you can do at this point. You can't implement anything. You can't do anything. But you try and formulate a couple of different plans, um, depending on how things go. I'm curious as to how you guys, in this situation, it's an extraordinary time. How do you guys rank compliance, meeting the compliance requirements like contemporaneous transfer pricing documentation versus proactive transfer pricing planning? Like, do you think one is more important than the other as it stands today? Um, I, I, I don't think one is more important than the other because there's such an interplay. Mm -hmm. in that anything that we are doing or going to do as a result or a reaction or proaction to the COVID will have to be well documented why we're doing what we're doing. Um, right. And if it's a change out of the normal, um, that's, you know, especially important why we're doing it um, a way, a different way than we, we would have. So I think it enhances the documentation aspect of it. So I, I don't think it, you know, yes, you have to do the planning, but you're going to have to do your planning such that your documentation will support it. So that's the way I, I look at it. It's just going to be um, require more uh, intensive and, um, I don't know, adequate documentation. Right. That's my take on it at this point. Peter or Katja? We have to you document everything we do. And so it just, um, yeah, it's a natural progression. So that it makes sense, of course. Either of you guys have a different perspective or, or similar? Well, I sort of agree with uh, Doug. I mean, I think uh, the two go hand in hand uh, to the extent that we're deviating from our historical approach to transfer pricing. I mean, I think it's going to have to be well documented. Uh, we're going to be able to have to obviously support it. But I think there is going to be, you know, uh, some sympathy, hopefully, from the taxing authorities, you know, given the uh, the magnitude of the situation we're in, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, yeah, you know, they will go along with, uh, you know, our approach. Yeah, I definitely th think there will be some jurisdictions that traditionally will be less sympathetic, um, just because they are in general. But yeah, you're right, Peter. I hope I hope there is some give. From, yeah. from from that end, that, that's, that's going to be crucial. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Some countries have actually done some extensions for you know tax related to tax deadlines are you guys taking advantage of those extensions at this point well this is doug we just one specifically yeah in fact we did and in fact um i don't know you know peter and, and katia c by c reporting and notification the notification process um hong kong um is due the end of march traditionally the notification and they extended it to june uh, because of the COVID-19. And that was helpful to us because we, because of the um, acquisition by 3M last year, we were still trying to figure out maybe how we do some of our notifications, whether we do a, a pre-acquisition period and then a post-acquisition period where we're included 3M. And so we were still working with consultants to, to figure that out. Um, and so we, that, that one extension I can think of 
was very beneficial. That's great. Katja, are you guys taking advantage of any of these tax deadline extensions? Just for the federal um, and state income taxes, but not specifically for the transfer currency. Okay. Oops, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Peter, what about you guys? Any any specific deadlines that you guys are taking advantage of, extensions you guys are taking advantage of? We're trying to stick with the uh, you know the original uh, deadlines uh, simply because you know when we finally get back to work, uh, we think we're going to have uh, plenty to keep us busy. So uh, we don't want to have a you know a huge backlog of uh, work to clear. So we're we're trying yeah. to move things along as best we can. That makes sense. And, and you know, this, this question is a little sensitive, so I'm okay if you guys can or cannot answer, but within your organization, have you had to have some re workforce reductions um, that resulted in responsibility changes to your staff? Um, this is Doug. I, within 3M, larger 3M, I, there's been some furloughs. I, I think it's inevitable. I, I, I mean, yep. not the specifics. Uh, I don't think that's, you know, not public knowledge that that's going to happen. But within our group, the, the transfer pricing group or the tax department, no. In fact, I wouldn't say there's, there's, there's more responsibilities now. Okay. Um, trying, trying to prepare a plan. So whether that long-term remains that way, I don't know. But with respect to, to my team and my teammates, there's been no, you know, None of that. It's just been additional responsibilities to to pick up and be part of like the core team, COVID nineteen team. But for a company as large as ours, I, I think there are places where it's going to be inevitable. There are slowdowns, temporary shutdowns, but Absolutely. not a lot has happened yet. But they are somewhat anticipated. Logically, so. Katja, what about you guys? Is have you guys had to do any? shift of responsibilities, any dramatic reduction in workforces? So we had um, reduction in workforce right before, right after like the year end, uh, January, February, to kind of to, um, because the, the general climate in startup, as you've read, was um, un, unstable, uncertain. So we kind of wanted to be preemptive about it. Um, we have not uh, lost a lot of people in finance because finance was quite lean. And so from that perspective, we are okay. So with things we are considering, uh, you know, we're just looking, uh, monitoring activity day to day. And we sort of have three, three kind of uh, scenarios, best case, worst case, and in the middle. And depending on that, we're planning out what that may mean on different levels. Got it. Okay, yeah. well, that sounds positive. It's almost as if you guys just had to react from a business perspective, and it didn't even, didn't really matter what happened with COVID. You guys are already well positioned there. Uh, Peter at Fujifilm, did you guys have any issues there? Uh, fortunately, we have not had any uh, furloughs or staff reductions at this uh, point. Uh, okay. However, what I've tried to uh, come up with is a game plan in the event that any of our team members should become sick. So, uh, and how we could shift uh, responsibilities around in that event. So, uh, we're just keeping our fingers crossed. Fortunately, so far, everyone has stayed healthy. That's great. That's great. I, I, I love that. You, you need to have this succession planning or backup plan just in case. And just to take a brief break to ask Fiona. Fiona, what is the CARES Act? The CARES Act is the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. It's an economic relief bill intended to help during the crisis. Benefits include expanded unemployment insurance, payroll loans for small businesses, and emergency lending to businesses, states, and cities. And let's make that our next CPE code word, and that code word is CARES, as in who cares about the CARES Act? International tax executives, that's who. And back to our conversation. All of you guys are familiar with the CARES Act? Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. And, and uh, well, we'll skip Matt's part. He can insert it later. Yep. Do, do any of your businesses, are you able to take advantage of the CARES Act, or does it have any impact to your business? I'm, I'm sort of assuming 3M does not have the capability to take advantage of it, but I don't, I don't know for sure. 
No, not really. It's yeah. no impact. Peter? Oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, lo we're looking at the employee retention credit. Um, uh, but that's you know, our primary focus at the moment. I don't think there's much else in the act for us uh, in terms of uh, benefits. So uh, we, we really haven't focused too much on it. Katja, are you guys yeah, taking yeah, yeah, well, we have we have only we have around eleven hundred people total globally. So we are, and our U.S. entity only has about two hundred fifty. So we definitely are looking into definitely employee retention credit for one, and um, other things, pay, paycheck protection program potentially. But you know, there there's complications because it it's intended for companies with five hundred employees or less. And you, at some point, you ha in certain conditions, you have to count other other employees as well for the yeah. qualification. So yeah, we kind of balancing act. Okay, okay. I actually think the next set of questions is where it gets really interesting because, from a business perspective, have you guys had to contemplate any restructuring of your supply chain you know from a business strategic business perspective and you have you had to rethink the way you approach the market in light of this current environment go ahead yeah, Doug. No, um, yeah no this is actually the key point we're seeing right now and um, and the, the most immediate impact is in our supply chain um, we're seeing a lot of changes in that supply chain with our PPE equipment which is the respirators um, without going into details, we're seeing a lot of of movement starting in that in our supply chain um, as a result, and that's kind of where our focus is is, is going to hone in on right now. Um, I think, and this kind of maybe goes to the, the last item in that I think people even after this, people are going to reassess their supply chains. I think they're going right. to want to shorten supply lines. Um, if they have a manufacturer in the U.S., maybe they don't want the supplier in China. Um, and not to pick on China, that's just where it is a lot, common, right? I kind of liken this to a military where the longer your supply chain is away from your home base, the, the more uh, vulnerable you are to attack. Sure. Um, and having that cut off. So I think people are going to look to, to at least try to shorten that supply chain. Um, and that's going to be, I think, an interesting piece of the puzzle that's going to come out of this. And that sounds like a great third final CPE credit code word for this episode. Doug, let's use it. And that code word is puzzle, as in shortening supply chains will be an essential piece of the puzzle for the COVID economic fallout. And back to our conversation. It could also be about concentration, right? Because I think a significant mm -hmm. amount of products are, are manufactured out of China. Peter, you guys at Fujifilm too, do you, do, you, uh, do you have operations in China that are having an impact to your supply chain? Well, we do have uh, operations, manufacturing in China, we do have operations there. And um, at the moment, I'm not aware of any uh, impact on our supply chain, but uh, of course, this is a very fluid situation, so it remains to be seen. Yep, I, I had a I had an, another customer who told us a story about they they had a consumer product it was it's light bulbs but they were saying that in order to be able to um, get the light bulbs to the to their buyers you know they're a vendor and I think their biggest um, uh, purchaser was Walmart right so they needed to get it to Walmart. The logistics of all of that was very complicated because everything's manufactured in China. And, and right during the, the, the heart of it, they said that the driver had to stay in the vehicle, drive the product from point A to point B, stay in the car, was not allowed to leave, and then had to go back to the factory once again, never leaving the car or never leaving the truck, and then being quarantined for two weeks at a time. It's pretty, it was, it's pretty insane, but they had to go through that and figure out a process to be able to facilitate this current environment and, and continue to deliver on, on their product, right? I think Doug's uh, perspective is, is right on that people are going to have to rethink a little bit about how do you shorten that supply chain um, uh, line, uh, the logistics of it all, 
And then perhaps it's also related to concentration risk, right? Katja, I'm gonna assume that for TradeShift, because you guys are software, you know, they're the, is your supply chain, your supply chain or your business strategies have not really changed that dramatically as a result of COVID, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I do, the, we did have kind of interesting opportunity that came up. We did have one supplier in China who had um, an excess of um, a lot of masks and medical equipment. And we've learned that there's obviously shortage. And we were thinking about, we were planning to launch Tradeship Marketplace uh, soon, but this opportunity just came in and we just onboarded uh, a lot of, a bunch of hospitals and uh, clinics on to connect with that supplier. So that created an opportunity to um, move project faster. So from that perspective, yeah, it worked out. Okay. But at the same time, are your businesses also impacted by travel restrictions? Various yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, we've traveled quite a bit, but what I've learned is that um, this home disruption um, situation is actually our sales teams are actually uh, doing better than per se engineering teams or some other teams because we've seen a reduction in productivity for engineering teams just in terms of the releases versus sales guys are working, you know, work as usual. So that's interesting. Even with sales restrictions, they seem to be doing better than the other teams. Peter, what about you guys? Are, are you guys, are, is there any aspect of the business that are, that are impacted as a result of the quarantines, travel restrictions, social distancing? Well, I mean, uh, we have um, pretty much put a hold on any type of uh, business travel at this point. And um, as far as social distancing, even before the stay-at-home order uh, came into effect, uh, we were reducing the number of people in our offices. Uh, so at any given time, only 50% of the staff were in the office. There people alternating their days working from home. So I, I could see that this is probably going to continue even once uh, you know things become uh, operational again. I think uh, we're just not going to you know, flip a switch and go back to normal. This is going to be a very uh, slow and drawn-out process. Can, and, and, you know, I worked for a Japanese bank before, and can I tell you, I used to think it was, I used to think it was really funny. I, all throughout our office, we had hand sanitizers everywhere, and there was a sign that said, prevent future pandemics. And this was back in 2012, 2014 timeframe. So this is way before COVID arrived, but it was, it was really interesting, I, I think that that was probably right after the initial coronavirus, like SARS-2 at that time. Does that sound about right from a historical perspective? I'm, I'm going to ask Matt. Matt usually knows these yes, things. Yes, uh, I, I do have a comment on this I was going to hold. The mass culture, uh, as far as... Uh, epidemics go in a lot of East Asian, uh, Asia Pacific countries. Uh, they've had so many scares over over the years, but also a very, very proactive uh, system. Some with uh, governments not so friendly, and some with just plain old, you know, universal healthcare. But they've instilled uh, within many of those societies just a culture of, you know, when in doubt, wear a mask. And we've seen this in the United States. Um, in the last few weeks, uh, the the WHO and the CDC changed their recommendation to when in doubt wear wear a mask, and uh, I think we've we've gained a, a whole new appreciation for the policy in, in, entrenched in uh, uh, in a lot of those countries. Agree. Well, maybe to your point, our company routinely at the beginning of every flu season would give everyone a bottle of Purell. Yes, <laughs> it was it was actually very proactive. <laughs> yeah. There's Purell everywhere. Okay. Um, going back to the potential concentration risk of supply chains of where you have, you know, manufacturing and things of that nature. Do you guys think that after all this is said and done, that there will be more intercompany transactions or, or less intercompany transactions? I'm, I'm kind of thinking there might be more. And I'm, I go back and forth a little bit on it. Um, I mean, I think you, you like the insulation of having more 
intercompany transaction, um, more control, mm-hmm. um, more more predictability, maybe less volatility. Um, so I say maybe it will lean that way. I, I take for example the 3M distribution, and maybe it's not not a perfect example that we 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 sell to certain unrelated parties that distribute, and we have no control over what they sell to the market for. And so there's been instances that are pretty common now in the news of price gouging in New York was, was one area, but not having control over those distributors, maybe more of, Hey, we only have um, three M distributors that sell to, um, to the marketplace and cut out that to reduce that risk. But that's just, that's one thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Because we, we felt, we felt the, we, we felt the pain of that, not having that control. Um, sure, sure. So. Through bad publicity. Exactly. Yeah. What, what about you, Peter? Do you think that this could result in more intercompany transactions for Fujifilm or, or even for certain industries, perhaps? Well, uh, you know, we're obviously a foreign-owned company, a Japanese company. And um, you know, most of the product that uh, we sell here is either manufactured here or imported from our parent company. So I think the impact, if any, would be more on our parent company as to where, you know, where their suppliers are and how they're sourcing that. Um, they may make some changes. Um, as uh, everyone is aware, uh, I think China has sort of a black eye at the moment, so uh, they may switch uh, suppliers. But I don't think that's going to have too much of an impact, you know, from the U.S. perspective. Yeah, no. And 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 Katya, I mean, in the SaaS world, I, I you know, perhaps it, there's not, perhaps this, this is not going to lead to more intercompany transactions, or or maybe so. What do you think? Um, I I really I don't foresee anything new at this point right now. Um, it will be more along the lines of different type of um, transactions, meaning like relationship between. Customers, suppliers, partners on the platform, just mm-hmm. how, how businesses are partnering up and in what capacities they are interacting. But yeah, but not, not in terms of different transactions from transfer pricing perspective. Yep, yep. And, and last but not least, does this crisis make transfer pricing more of a priority in the future? Um, if so, what do you think you, you might do differently in the future as the result? I think the transfer pricing is very important, uh, no matter what's happening and how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is always, the world is moving towards more virtual ways of working. Uh, so we will have to re-examine, and the governments are examining the traditional pricing methods to see if there could be other ways to assess or connect profits to different transactions, different um, uh, countries. So I think this space will evolve, definitely, and there will be just more interesting things for us to learn and worry about. Yep. <laughs> Peter? Well, I think certainly for the, for the next year or two, I think it's going to be uh, more challenging. Um, I think it's, you know, it's going to be uh, you know, critical uh, in terms of the documentation uh, and the methodology and the thought process that we put into it. Um, but I think, uh, you know, transfer pricing, you know, has been uh, certainly in the forefront, and at least in our minds, for uh, some time now and will continue to be so going forward. Yep. And, and last but not least, Doug. No, I, I agree with, uh, echo what Peter saying that we, it had already become uh, more of a priority, right, with, with BEP um, the last couple of years and uh, more transparent reporting. And so it's only going to continue to be that way uh, with the COVID-19, especially as as and if people deviate from their traditional transfer pricing, um, having to explain that. Um, and I think ultimately, our, our, it comes back to what I mentioned before, it's, it's going to the, the emphasis within transfer pricing is going to really shift to that supply chain um, and, and how best to structure that um, and, and segment out the value out of the different areas of the supply chain. So, yeah, I think this will just intensify 
how much of a priority it, it is and, and scrutiny it will receive. Right. Yep. No. I, I I agree with that. Well, that wraps the discussion. And in the middle of the coronavirus, with stress levels running high in every direction, we can't thank you enough for making the time to be on the podcast and talk to us about the impact of COVID-19, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, we wish you and all of our listeners good health and a quick resolution to all of this. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, what we want to know. And we have another special guest for you. We're putting cross borders own ai personality fiona in the hot seat fiona are you ready not quite yet let me brush my teeth first no i'm a machine matt of course i'm ready here we go what mistakes do you see multinational companies make again and again when it comes to transfer pricing multinationals often fail to localize their documentation Every country has its own transfer pricing regulations and every MNE has to make sure it's meeting regulations where it has operations. And what do you think is the biggest challenge for multinational companies today? Tax scrutiny has increased considerably. I think it's a challenge for MNEs to stay below the radar. I also think it's a challenge to keeping track of each country's unique regulations and deadlines and meet those regulations. Organizing those reports is no picnic, either. And tell me this, Fiona, how do you define success? Having a podcast named after you. Once you have your own show, you really know you've made it. And finally, what do you think makes cross-border solutions different than other transfer pricing consultancies? I think we take localization seriously when it comes to compliance and also cross-border solutions has me. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Great talk, Fiona. It's always good to catch up. As for you listeners, don't let this be your last transfer pricing discussion. I mean, we only dive into them every week. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can tune in when it works for you. I'm Matthew DeMello, and I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Executive producer Marilyn Mitchumstrom writes our scripts. Thanks again for a great discussion. I mean, do we have the best clients or what? Yeah.